We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Villato. And tonight we're here to talk about the Giants who are in Detroit right now, currently enjoying a couple days of joint practices with a team that, quite frankly, gave them a harder time than just about any team with the exception of the Eagles last season. Even the Cowboys, if you throw in those two games, the Lions game against the Giants was their toughest game last season. The Lions really handed it to the Giants. The final score was a tad bit closer. You could look at like Daniel Jones throwing for 300 in that game, but when you really break down the film, which we did last year, you'll see that. Most of that was garbage time production in the passing game when the Lions simply just said, screw it, we'll go to too high. We don't care. Let's just waste time. When the Lions did what they were going to do, which is aggressive defense. It was really difficult for the Giants offense last season. And that appeared to carry over, at least in the first day of what was padded practice for the Giants against the Lions today in team drills. I should say that carried over. Their fourth padded practice of the season of training camp. They only did three at home, and they had one today with the Lions. I believe tomorrow's will also be a padded practice as well, Nick. Um, we'll get to some of the struggles from the offense against the Lions' first-team defense in the actual team drills. And there was a different story in the 7-on-7s seven seven versus 11-on-11s. Eleven eleven, but the 7-on-7s, seven seven, I mean, I, I just don't take much away from that because it's not real. There's no seven on seven in the NFL. There's no overtime or NHL power play rules or whatever, where it can go to seven and seven. So it's kind of pointless. But the 11 on 11 is what we'll focus on. But before we do that, Nick, I want to talk with you a little bit about some news we got recently from Joe Shane himself on the Zach Gelb show. Wondell Robinson will be activated as early as this week from the pup list. I think that was a nice surprise, at least for me. I'm not sure about you. And, you know, once he's activated, I think he's going to get thrown right back into the mix. I don't know if they'll have some kind of program for him like they did for Shepard right now, where it's like, you know, managing his reps. I don't think it's the same case because Shepard's more of a veteran. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But regardless, Wanda Robinson was a hand-picked second round by this regime pick, 44th overall, like high draft capital. Big, big, big time projection for him in this offense based on the draft capital they used on him. Where do you feel like the wide receiver room stands following that activation when it does eventually happen? And what's, what are we going to start to see rep wise, first team, second team, things like that? It does surprise me, Dan. I thought possibly Wando Robinson, because this happened after the bye week against the Detroit Lions, the Wando Robinson injury, the torn ACL. I thought maybe he would even start the season on the pup. So when I heard that, I was taken aback and it really made me kind of question what exactly is going to happen. 
in the wide receiver room, specifically with those slot receivers. I started kind of thinking about Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder, and then Sterling Shepard. Who provides the most in terms of the entire roster? Because you also got to factor in special teams here. Wanda Robinson is safe. If he is healthy, he might be slowly ingratiated. Again, that injury wasn't week three. I think it was for Sterling Shepard. It was a little bit later on in the season. So it might be a little bit slow of a ramp up. But by the time the season rolls around, if he's activated this week, you expect him to be ready for week one. He's activated off the pup list. Someone is going to get cut. Sterling Shepard, man, and I know we are high on him. He doesn't offer anything on special teams. I don't think the Giants would release him. He's the longest tenured New York Giant. I think it would be a, a fan uproar. And I still think there is so much that he can provide the roster. But man, dude, with Wando Robinson healthy, that's just another wide receiver who might not make the team. And it's going to come down to probably Cole Beasley and Jamison Crowder. And then you factor in the fact that the Giants are really focusing on Eric Gray as that punt returner. If Eric Gray seizes that job, if he doesn't fumble their preseason and he wins that job outright, is it Jamison Crowder that's released? Kind of throws a monkey wrench into the entire situation. It's not something that either of us anticipated. But I welcome it because I think Wandell Robinson, a healthy Wandell Robinson, is better than any of those other options that we're going through. Yeah, and not only is he better, I mean, they obviously have a specific role for him in mind within the offensive system because they handpicked him and they use that capital, like I mentioned. And it does throw a wrench into the mix because, I mean, I made a roster projection recently. I did like an AMA when I was waiting for something on Friday. And I was like, here's my projection for the wide receivers that'll make this wide receiver room. And I expected Wandell would be on PUP. It would make things a lot easier for projecting the roster. <laughs> he's not going to be on PUP if he's activated as soon as this week. He's probably not going to be on PUP regardless if he activated this week or next week. And that takes away one roster spot unless the Giants want to go up to eight at the wide receiver position, which I don't think they will, especially if what happens, if, if what you mentioned happens, Nick, where Eric Gray does outright win this return man job, because if he wins the return job, that takes away a potential usage for somebody like Jameson Crowder, who's been pretty damn good in camp so far. I mean, he's a professional. This is the thing. These are professional receivers. These are guys who have won at the NFL level. They've consistently created separation. It's not, I'm not going to name names. People get mad when I name like, some name on the Giants right now that has not been consistently creating separation. It's funny, Nick, because somebody's like, stop beating up on last week, for example. Someone's like, stop beating up on David Sills. Fine. I don't want to drag him. It's fine. He's a professional guy. But then last year, they're like, how can we judge Daniel Jones? None of his receivers create separation. So you can't have it both ways. Either these guys aren't creating separation on a consistent basis, and that's the reason that's happening. Or they are, and if they aren't, then you can't get mad when I'm kind of saying, you know, guys like Crowder and Beasley are, because that's ultimately what you want from these receivers. And someone's going to be left out, Nick. I think at some point we'll do a roster projection. We Not I think, we will, obviously, as it gets closer. But I'm starting to wonder, like, how this works out. Because even, like, a player who I like a lot, for example, and I would use a roster spot on probably, Colin Johnson. Today I watched a rep of him in the red zone with Tyrod Taylor incredible you know body control really good contested catch tapped his feet in looked awesome on it big target where does he max you know factor in because unlike maybe uh Colby Easley for example or like eventually a Sterling Shepard and Wando Robinson we haven't seen him get too many first team reps so he's dominating things with the second team in Taylor's group but does that impact him because I don't think he's much of a special teams guy either none of these guys on the back end are really special teams guys and that's what makes this thing so complicated I think Let's dissect it real quick. We're going to do a roster prediction show, but I do want to dissect it. I think it's important. If Wandell is ready for week one, you're talking about who is roster locks. Darius Slayton, Wandell Robinson, Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, Jalen Hyatt. Those okay. five are roster locks. So that leaves two possible other receivers, not even including Sterling Shepard. 
who can make the team, who has special teams value out of the other players. And I want to kind of propound this idea because we've said on previous podcasts, Dan, that there could be a roster spot between Colin Johnson and Bryce Ford Wheaton. And maybe the Giants were incentivized that Bryce Ford Wheaton would win that because they invested money into the undrafted signing bonus for him. What if the Giants do opt to go smaller, the slot machine, and they don't go with a Bryce Ford Wheaton and a Colin Johnson because they have Lawrence Cager and Aaron Waller as their tight ends for their big bodies. So they can use that 12 personnel package now, which is going to be mismatch against base. So defenses will more than likely respond with nickel for their big bodies. And now they can bring in a Jameson Crowder, Cole Beasley, Sterling Shepard. There'll be two roster spots between those three players. What do you think of that idea? I think that's an interesting idea. And I think that could be ultimately what they go with potentially. I, you know what, here's the, the thing we haven't discussed yet. And so far it hasn't happened, but injuries will probably end up determining yes. this story, but you know, there is possibly, but there is obviously the, uh, the other side of this where it's like, well, the giants can easily make it through this preseason without any injuries to this group. They were unlucky with it last year, obviously Colin Johnson. Uh, I think Kadaris Tony was dealing with injuries throughout last training camp too, if I remember. And that group was banged up, but this year we haven't really seen that that much today. Uh, Campbell Paris Campbell had what looked like a, some kind of lower leg injury. He hobbled off the field, but then he returned for the next period and was in the rest of practice. So that's fine. Lawrence Cager, you just mentioned who definitely has some appeal. He got hit on in 11 on 11 drill, but he also finished practice. So at this point, they're relatively healthy. Knock on wood. It's been a very relatively healthy camp. But obviously we have like a concussion with Evan Neal. He didn't practice. Nacho's dealing with a groin injury. Uh, Ryder Anderson's probably the most serious of the injuries so far. But outside of that, they've been pretty lucky. So I don't know, man. It's it's going to be really interesting to see. But I think the key takeaway here is so obvious to me, at least. They're in such a better position for creating separation on a consistent basis, snap to snap, in week one, two, three, four, whatever you want to call it, than they were last year. I hate to say it, but when you have, not going to mention the name again, but what's his name, playing 85% of snaps, you're not creating separation. You're just not. And then you have another guy in Tony, who I can mention, who's running the wrong routes. Now you're like whole draw, you're ruining whole drives like they did in week one because the dudes are crossing at the same point and running into each other and drawing offensive pass interference plays. So that whole, I think that at least is, is way behind us, which is in my opinion, the most important part. It's a great situation to be in. And the reason why David Sills was out there, yes, he doesn't create separation, but he actually knew what routes to run. Right. Because that's what this offense is about. But now the Giants have another year under their belt, this regime, Joe Shane and Brian Dable, and they brought receivers in who can actually learn the playbook. Because last year, Kenny Galladay, he was dusted. I don't know if he fully comprehended the playbook. I can't really speak on that, but I think it's safe to say Kadarius Tony did not. And that's one of the reasons why you had David Sills playing over Kadarius Tony, not just because of the injuries and the missed time in training camp. It was because he couldn't comprehend the playbook. And you also had guys like Marcus Johnson through the year come in. He actually learned the playbook. The Giants never targeted. He was just the speed guy. Now the Giants have several guys who could be that speed element. I think the floor for Jalen Hyatt is Marcus Johnson's role. I think he could be much more than that. There's obviously a ceiling there, but you also have players like Paris Campbell and Darius Slayton, who we also know who can stretch the field. Last year, Daniel Jones, only had 25 throws with 20 plus air yards. A fifth of them, five, came against the Detroit Lions, mostly in garbage time. The Giants weren't airing the football out. It wasn't their offense for many reasons. People can read into that how they want. It's not just an indictment on Daniel Jones. There's a lot of variables as to why the Giants weren't stretching the field last year and challenging defenses vertically. This season's a different season. I expect to see more of that. It's just now who is going to be some of the beneficiaries of that and who's actually going to make the team and who's going to be the intermediate options. Cause that's really what this discussion is about. 
between the three slot receivers, Jamison Crowder, Cole Beasley, Sterling Shepard, who makes the team, who has the best spatial awareness and who has the best rapport with Daniel Jones, really. And that leads me to Sterling Shepard. It's just, does he have the special teams value if Eric Gray doesn't win the job? There's so many different angles you can attack this conversation at. And I think it's uh, pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'm very excited to see how that plays out. We're going to keep an eye on that, obviously, and keep you updated on that. Where do you want to move to next in the practice? We brought up some of those injuries, some of the guys who were dinged up. I think we should probably just start with Daniel Jones. He struggled, and that's kind of been what's going around Twitter right now. He uh, hasn't looked as crisp. He's going up against a different defense that he hasn't seen. He's been working right. against Wink Martindale's defense, who we worked against since last year in training camp. It's not a surprise. It's not a shock. This is still training camp. And I know you practice like you want to play, but the Giants are still going to be trying different things against the opposing defense. My boots were not on the deck there, but from what I've collected from Connor Hughes and Dan Duggan and some of the beat reporters who are there, Daniel Jones was inaccurate. He was a little bit erratic with his ball placement, but the Giants were getting open. So that's a good sign in and of itself. Because we know Daniel Jones has the ability to be accurate. I don't know if it was jitters. I'm not overly worried about the joint practice number one, Daniel Jones being a little bit inaccurate because I've seen him be accurate before. I think it's a strong takeaway. Um, even more so, I lean into the idea of just so Jones was. Um, I'm missing the charting now. Bobby Skinner had, I think he was, and and so did Connor Hughes. By the way, I think he completed 50 percent of his passes in the team drills, but also took two sacks, and those two sacks would have they counted them as completions. So they were on two completions. So really it's even fewer than that. Uh, percentage probably the same, but just didn't really get it going. And and like you said, Nick, a lot of it was bad ball placement. The way I look at it is this ball placement from Daniel Jones has, has been solid. I would say over his career, I don't think it's as strong as some giants fans think it's been in my mind. The ball placement has been okay at best. Great ball placement. You want to see that type of quarterback play. You have to look at the elite guys. In my opinion, it's not a part of Daniel Jones game, but he's been solid in ball placement. Some areas of the field, his ball placement has been better than others. The deep dig. We always talk about that intermediate range over the middle of the field. That's his best area of the field for ball placement down the field on the vertical game. I think he's been above average in ball placement in the really short stuff though like the four to six yard crossers and things like that. I've never thought the ball placement was that great. And maybe in some of these team team drills, that was the case. Again, I don't have my boots on the ground, but from what we've heard, guys were getting open. He was missing it. The reason why this is a good thing for me in my mind is this. If you look back at some of these past bad offenses over the last four years from 2019 through now, look at all those reports from camp. Look at all the preseason tape, whatever you want to look at from before the season started, Nick. And I know you have. The same thing was true in those seasons, and that's not the case here. The entire offense looked discombobulated. Receivers weren't getting open. The routes weren't creating separation. The play designs weren't great. Now, all of that is gone. The play design's great. The route combinations are creating separation. Today, we saw a lot. Of, we heard there were a lot of open Giants wide receivers, but the ball placement was off, and Daniel Jones didn't have the timing down. That, to me, is not that crazy this early into the training camp because he's dealing with a lot of new targets. Darren Waller wasn't here last year. That rapport still has a long way to go. I know it's looked good in Giants training camp practice against their own team. When Wink Martindale, he's a Jones has seen that defense a million times. B Wink Martindale, let's be honest, is not throwing the, the kitchen sink at him every day, but that rapport still needs to grow. Waller rapport with Paris Campbell. It still needs to grow as well. The rapport with Hyatt. That needs to grow too. There's only a few returning receivers. Even Isaiah, Isaiah Hodgins only got a quarter of a season to work with Jones last year. So they're still going to take some time to build that rapport, I think. And like you mentioned, it's just seeing a different defense. We have to remember this Lions defense. Yes, it was ugly early on in 2022, Nick. But by the time the Giants game rolled around, Giants-Lions last year, 
they had started to figure some things out. And that's an aggressive as hell defense, Nick. And this goes back to something that has always concerned me about the Giants offense since, since 2019. It's can they beat aggressive style defenses? They couldn't against Philly in the playoff game. They struggled against the Lions in the, the regular season game. They've struggled at times in the past against Todd Bowles. When you press those guys up the line of scrimmage and you don't respect the deep half, that's when it starts to get become a struggle at times with Daniel Jones. Uh, and we'll see if he can throw out of it this year. I hope he can. Again, early in training camp, ball placement could be off for a variety of reasons, jitters, like you mentioned, and lack of rapport with these receivers. But it's something to keep an eye on because it hasn't been perfect. And these are the style of defenses that have really given him trouble. Recently, I've, I've been reflecting back on, on some of the advanced statistics from Daniel Jones. I put up a tweet about his 20-plus yard passes. There's 22 of them, or 25 of them, I'm sorry. 22 of those were big-time throws, meaning this is how um, I think the NFL defines it. PFF is a little bit different. I'm about to get into that in a second. I know I'm going off on a little bit of a side tangent here. The NFL defines the big-time throws as 20-plus yards downfield with less than three yards of separation at the time of the throw. So that means you're throwing with anticipation if that guy ends up getting open. Now, PFF defines it, and you can go to my Twitter if anybody wants to go check out that tweet, and you could see the throws. I put all of them up from the all-22 angle. It was, I think, the least amount in the division other than maybe Taylor Heineke. Like Jalen Hurts had like 70 big-time throws. <laughs> like He's just airing it out downfield. The Giants did not do that. But one thing that concerned me, because I went and I looked up pro football focuses big-time throw. They calculated a little bit differently. Daniel Jones, in their estimation, only had eight big time throws. And the way they calculate it is a big time throw is a pass with excellent ball location and timing generally thrown further down the field and or into a tighter window. And the only reason I'm bringing this up because he only had eight. And if you take quarterbacks who played at least 20% of snaps, Daniel Jones ranked eighth lowest in the NFL in that metric starting as many games as he did. And that's and the, pretty generous to include the 20%. You should, I mean, typically we hear the 50% cutoff and I'm sure it would be lower in that regard. It would be. And the thing is, man, when you go to his big time throw percentage, so this is a percentage that he's second worst. The only quarterback that was worse than him was Matt Ryan. And we haven't brought this up yet on the, on the podcast. And I know we've, we alluded to it so many times, but going off of that stat, it is scary. And I think that is the primary reason why the Giants went out and were like, we need to find the number one receiver. There's right. not a number one receiver who is uh, available at the price tag that we're willing to give up. Darren Waller, you're the number one receiver. We've got to trade up. We've got to get Jalen Hyatt, get Jalen Hyatt, get Paris Campbell, get all these explosive playmakers. And it's just one of those things, man. I, I know this, uh, I deviated this conversation a little bit, but I, I did want to broach this topic with you and ask you your opinion on that because second worst in big time throw percentage, Joe Flacco had more big time throws than he did percentage wise. That's that's a little scary, no? It's scary for sure. I think, look, a lot of the people who listen to this will tell you, we'll just pause this right away or turn it off right away or get to the comments section right away and tell you it's because Evan Neal held him back. It's because the receivers held him back. It's because the Giants wanted to go focus on the run game. They want to be a run first team. It's because of the matchups. All those are factors for sure. But unfortunately yes. for you guys, like this is just not a podcast that's just going to bow down and like agree on all on this being the only factor because quarterback play is such a complicated thing. Like you need to have ball placement. You need to have velocity. You need to be thrown with anticipation on a consistent basis. You need to be able to immediately post-snap process where those safeties shifted and what that means. And a lot of times these safeties are bluffing you. These coverages are bluffing you or in the example of, you know, Washington that you bring up a lot against Washington last year, they're literally just giving you the field side sideline. 
daring you to throw it and you're not even looking at it. And so these are things that don't really factor in Evan Neal and the receivers. These are on the quarterback. And it's no surprise to me, Nick, that the only quarterbacks in the NFL who defenses consistently just say, F it, let's go to the two high shell against are the best of the best, the Mahomes, the Burroughs, the guys who will beat you in those areas of the field. The rest of these quarterbacks, dude, are getting similar coverages to Jones at times where it's just press everything up, one high safety or bail into a one high safety look and just see what happens because we don't have to worry about every inch of the field right now, or we haven't had to. And that was the case last year. Obviously you just brought it up. You just brought up all those stats, Nick, about big time throw percentage. It's something that he needs to improve on no matter what anyone believes about what was there last year, what they had, what they didn't have. It's something that needs to be improved on. And we believe it can be, look, he's been great so far in giants training camp practice, throwing down field. Those are seven. A lot of those have been seven on seven drills, but he has been great. But once you get to a real situation, like we saw today, 11 on 11 drills, that's when the improvement needs to be made. You're going to want to start to see that stuff happen. But I will say this one thing that I also think is worth qualifying today. He had right, uh, Matt Parrott at right tackle instead yes. of Evan Neal. Cause Evan Neal's in with a concussion. That's unfortunate. Let's be honest about the situation. Aiden Hutchinson dominated him today. Aiden Hutchinson is a great edge rusher and a great defensive end in the NFL right now. And I think he had two would-be sacks against Matt Parrott today. I'm sure most of those reps, even the ones he didn't get the would-be sacks, Nick, were probably tough reps for Parrott and probably tough reps for Jones trying to sit in the pocket and look downfield and try to get something going downfield when he doesn't trust Parrott, maybe. I'm not saying he does or doesn't trust Parrott. It's hard to know that. Uh, we're not inside his mind or anything. But I'm sure the confidence level is not the same with him versus Neil. So there are always going to be these extenuating factors, but at the same time, the giants don't ever become a serious super bowl contender unless they can start bringing up the numbers. You brought up the big time throw percentage, second worst in the league, everything you just talked about, Nick, until that goes up, none of this matters. They're not going to win a super bowl consistently. They're not going to compete for super bowl consistently with a run first offense like they had last year. That is the bottom line in the NFL. Anyone who says, what about the 49ers doesn't understand the 49ers have an insanely good roster on both sides of the ball an insanely good offensive line. Insanely good. like, yes, the giants can lock box into building the greatest roster ever and then not need to throw the ball. But even that, how many super bowls have the 49ers won in the last seven years? I know they've been to two. How many have they won? None. And that's an important factor in this as well. Getting there is different than, and they're not consistently competing for it every year than they are. They're getting close. So I don't want to totally rule them out. But I mean, a lot of that is also just scheme, coaching, insane amount of talent on the roster. If you want to try to hit that range of outcomes, sure, be my guest. I don't want to hit that range of outcomes. I want to hit the range of outcomes where the passing game is consistently threatening the defense all inches of the field every single snap. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Exactly. And think about it like this. We talk about how the Giants were one first offense for much of the season last year. If Daniel Jones starts to actually push the ball vertical, starts to actually have some of these big time throws under his belt, starts to threaten the defense vertically with Jalen Hyatt, with Darren Waller up the seam, what are defenses going to do to respond? They're going to have to start playing some two high shells. They're going to have to start playing yes. a little bit more quarters. There's not going to be as many bodies in the box. And I'm telling you, man, defensive coordinators, defenders, they're worried about 26. They don't want to do that with 26. But if your quarterback can actually take advantage of those heavy boxes by stretching the field vertically, then you're looking at an offense that literally has everything covered. Right now, the Giants have a lot covered because they have two great offensive minds. But if they can incorporate a vertical passing attack, then you're talking about opening up the run game. You're talking about so many different things that we didn't even experience last year when the Giants exceeded expectations and won a playoff game. Yeah, exactly. Just look at, watch when you guys are watching football, watch the Chiefs, watch the Bengals. Look at the kind of boxes that Mixon and Pacheco and whoever's running for the Chiefs this year get to run into. Look at the kind of situation. The Bills are a good example of this, too. I saw some last year that James Cook toward the end of the season was running through. They were just like shotgun draws. They were just like unbelievable to watch. And I actually watched someone break down some film of Brett Favre from his Viking season, Nick, and they were just running a lot of shotgun lead draw type plays with Peterson. And it was amazing because every single play, the defense was playing so far back because Brett Favre was the quarterback and he can threaten every inch of the field on every single snap. Teams, no matter how you guys feel about this, you can blame the receivers, you can blame the O-line. I'm fine with that. And it's okay. If that's all you believe was the problem, that's okay. But no matter what the problem, whatever the real reason for it is, until it actually happens, the Giants start and Jones in the passing game start threatening every level of the field, especially intermediate and deep. Defenses aren't going to adjust. Even last year when the Giants went away from their run first offense, their pass first offense was all quick game, right? Let's be honest. There were some fun switch releases against the Vikings where they threw downfield. But the basis of the pass game as they evolved it last season was still all quick game. And it came to a head against the Eagles when the Eagles said, we know what you're running in the pass game. Yeah, you've gone pass first, but we don't really care. We know what you're doing. It's all quick game. We're going to sit on all these routes. We're not going to respect the deep half. And we're going to drive every single defensive back down when you pitch to Barkley or when you, you know, do anything around the line of scrimmage and your playmakers. And that's the point. Like they can't get the, they're going to have to, that's the main problem they have to solve this year. And yeah, they can solve it against their own players in practice. Like we've seen early in camp, but this is the real test against actual defenses that they haven't seen and coordinators who they have to scheme against and figure out. And Jones has to kind of adjust to throwing against. And it's not just Jones, the entire passing game, but that's kind of where the giants are at that this, this is the time we're going to learn a lot more against actual other teams. I hate to say this too, but the giants are that little cousin that everyone picks on right in the division, yep. the Cowboys and the Eagles specifically, the giants are that little cousin, Dan. And the Cowboys and Eagles have been picking on them for years now. And the Giants exceeded expectations. Now, hopefully, it's like one of those things where you don't see your cousin for like a year and they hit their growth spurt and then they actually grow up and now they can pick on you. That's the hope. But the only way the Giants are going to become that is if Daniel Jones starts to throw the ball vertically and actually takes advantage of 
Jalen Hyatt and Darren Waller. It's worth breaking down. I mean, we're, this is the type of stuff we want to focus on projecting for the actual season, not just breaking down little tidbits from practices that aren't going to matter as much as actual talking about projections of matchups in season. And one more thing to add to that, just to break it down, just to kind of wrap it up and sum it up with a stat you used earlier, Nick, like, when did the Eagles take the jump? The Eagles took the jump last season. And what happened and coincided with that? A stat you mentioned earlier, Jalen Hurts being insanely high on that list of big-time throws. What was it, 70-plus for him last season? What did you say? Yeah, it was he had, 70. I think he had 70, 20. Uh, I don't know if it was big-time throws. It was still probably like 20 plus. in the 50s. But 20-plus air yard throws, it was 70. That's 70. Uh, and what did you say was the number for Jones? 25. 25. And that's the difference right there. And they took the jump, the Eagles. If you, I don't have the stats in front of me, you probably don't either. I'm not going to put you on the spot, Nick. But if you look at the year before with Jalen Hurts, the 2021 season, I guarantee you that number was a lot lower. That number you just said for Jalen Hurts was a lot lower. And what happened from 2021 to 22? The Eagles became a real contender for the Super Bowl because they evolved that pass game, because they started becoming that team. And they took that big jump that you just went over. So it really does add up one to one. Yes, you can skin a cat a million ways. Talk about how important the, the it is important to win the line of scrimmage. It is. You want to have balance. But in the end, you take the jump as a team when you start to be explosive in the pass game. The Bills, the Eagles, the Bengals, the Chiefs, that's where you need to to be explosive in the pass game. I'm so curious to know what Patrick Mahomes is. I'm going to have to look that up, though, a yeah. little bit later. Okay, I just wanted to transition because we did spend a, a good amount of time on something I think is worth discussing, but it was kind of a downer, right? It wasn't a great day for the passing game. I was pleasantly surprised. This is not an all-bad practice. I know some of the reports have seen made it seem that way. This was not an all-bad practice. I was pleasantly surprised by two important things. We always talk about what's most important to a team, quarterback, what's most important to winning football games, passing game. But the second most important thing we always say, Nick, is line of scrimmage on offense, line of scrimmage on defense, winning those sides. And I was really pleasantly surprised with both the Giants run game at the line of scrimmage in this practice from what I've read and the Giants defense on run game in the line of scrimmage from what I've read. It's, they still had some issues apparently with the out, with outside runs, but interior runs were great today. And the reason I was so impressed with the latter, Nick, we can you can uh, unpack either one first, but the reason I'm so impressed with the latter is this is a tough matchup for the Giants in the trenches on the defense side of the ball. The Lions have the second best offensive line in the NFL, I think, behind the Eagles right now. Maybe it's third, maybe it's fourth, whatever. I'm giving it second because Penny Sewell took a massive jump. I think he's going to be back. I love Frank Ragnall. I think he's the second or best center in the NFL, and they're pretty strong across the board with the other three. So for the Giants' interior defensive line to have a strong day in day one against this offensive line, it said a lot to me. Yeah, they better. That's all I'm going to say. And I know it's a very good defensive line, but the Giants defensive line needs to start really making plays against the Eagles offensive line and the Lions. I think, I think the Eagles have a better offensive line, but the Lions, they're probably up there for second best. You have Frank Ragnow, Jonah Jackson. I think the right tackle now or left tackle is it Holly Pooley, Vitae, Vitae. Cause I'm not sure if Taylor Decker is there anymore. And even I'm if he not, is, I'm not positive either, either way, it's, it's a very solid unit. And you have Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, you upgraded with Ashawn Robinson, who is getting back to health, who is now off the pup. We didn't acknowledge that before. Nacho has his groin issue, regardless of the fact. The fact that you even have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams up front, that's arguably the best duo at interior defensive line. So I would hope that they would make some headway in terms of stuffing the run. Look, outside runs, it's not just a defensive line stat. If you can't defend right. the outside run, as we've said several times, it's the front seven, front eight, if you have some, like an eight eighth person near the box. That's what that statistic really is reflective of why the linebackers sucked last year. Giants sucked on outside run. When did you ever see teams run up the a gap on the giants last season? It really didn't happen. It was all outside the tackles. And in terms of 
the offense. We saw some clips, if you go to the Giants YouTube, I think I put one or two of them up on Twitter as well. Some clips of the rushing attack. One of them was just a power gap concept with Josh Azuda pulling around the ass of Matt Parrott. Just a very good cut by Saquon Barkley to find the hole between in the A gap, even though the, the run, it was a power gap run, was supposed to go into the C gap off tackle to follow the block of Josh Azuda. But good job by Saquon Barkley processing with his vision, finding the hole, and also just kind of running patiently behind his blocks to allow those blocks to develop. Because once, I think it was Matt Parrott, located the linebacker, you see Saquon Barkley just explode through the line. So that was pretty nice. Those were the only plays I really got to see. I wish, you know, we had our eyes on the tape and I can't wait to dive into Friday's preseason game to really evaluate all this. I mean, stay tuned, everybody. Season's coming up really quickly, but I, I love to hear that the rushing attack, especially if it, especially if it is Josh Azudu, who he was on that play is pulling effectively. Josh Azudu is the best mover of any of the interior defensive linemen the yes. Giants have. Yes, and, and just to, to mention one more thing before I dive into a little bit of offensive line stuff, with regards to the matchup of the Giants defensive line against the Lions offensive line, maybe the names aren't the biggest in the NFL, but the Lions at one point averaged more yards created before contact as an offensive line than teams, than, and then I think it was, at, this was probably first six weeks of the season, than like six teams averaged overall in yards, <laughs> yards uh, per, per rush for the running backs. That's how much yards they were creating as an offense. So the scheme is also great there too. Ben Johnson, I think, is up there as one of the most elite offensive play callers and designers in the NFL right now. That's Lions offensive coordinator. And that that run game was really good. So I like to say that. On the flip side, I liked what I saw also from Ben, ben Bredesen. I saw a clip of him where I thought he executed a really nice block. He was physical at the point of attack. And we saw today... Ben Bredesen get all of the first team reps at center. That's, I mean, I'm sorry, not Ben Bredesen. I keep saying Ben Bredesen. I meant John Michael Schmitz. The first rep I was talking about was John Michael Schmitz. And we've seen John Michael Schmitz today get all of those first team reps at center. I think that's kind of settled at this point based on what I saw today. But the flip side was Ben Bredesen got a lot of time as the starting left guard. Obviously split, split some of it with a Zudu. But also there were some, some team periods where they had a Zudu at left guard. John Michael Smith at center and then Bredesen at right guard, which I think a lot of us are looking forward to as potentially the highest upside combination. It's the highest upside combination. Yeah. I mean, we've discussed that on the last podcast as well. Yep. It's something the giants are entertaining. Look, they're crossing all their T's. They're dotting all their I's. And right now they're working. The second team center rotation isn't, doesn't include Ben Bredesen. It's Jack Anderson and Shane Lemieux. So that's what they did at least in, in practice today was Shane Lemieux worked as the second team center and he ended up getting replaced by Jack Anderson in, I think, the final red zone period, according yep. to Dan Duggan. So that sheer fact that Ben Bredesen isn't getting worked in there, maybe it leads some credence to that Ben Bredesen could seize either the left guard or right guard spot. And maybe there is an actual true competition at the right guard spot. I think a lot of this also, though, depends on... Uh, what's the upgrade for Ben Bredesen from a mental standpoint over someone like a Mark Lewinsky and a continuity standpoint True. too, because Mark Lewinsky, look, he is a good run blocker. We brought all that up. He, he kind of sucked at pass protection last year, really soft shoulder. People got to the half man, just ran right through him. Turnstile was not great, but are the Giants comfortable enough to, to bench him with Evan Neal, who struggled last year, who is now injured and is missing time and can't maybe valuable reps with Ben Bredesen that he's not getting right now. And John Michael Schmitz to his side, or do they want that veteran there? And I think that's a conversation that the Giants are probably having in the room if they are seriously entertaining benching Mark Lewinsky, who they can't cut because it's too big of a cap hit. Right. Now, that's a good point, too, because it's a situation we're going to have to monitor here because, like you mentioned, I like the idea. It's highest upside, but that point you made is a good one. Do we want to put a new guy next to Evan Neal again? Like, 
things are already going to be tough for Evan Neal. We're counting it. The Giants are counting on him for a lot this year. He's basically the most important player besides Jones as far as taking what a jump could be, what taking a jump in play could mean for the Giants' win-loss record, and throw another new body next to him with a new body at center as well. I hope we don't start to see what we've seen in the past with Giants offensive lines that I was hoping was behind us, which is just simple stunt games, killing them. I mean, there's just been too many times over the last five, six, seven, eight years, really dating back to like, Oh, eight, really maybe Oh nine, where there's been common, simple stunts up front, easy games played by the defensive lines and opposing coordinators that have confused and beaten guys like Will Hernandez and other guys on the interior offensive line. And even at the tackle position with flowers and heart, I don't want to get back to that. I, communication is a big, important factor, but we'll have to see how that plays out. It's communication. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it from a mental standpoint. Yep. I just, sadly, I just remember 71 just getting beat so often. It was, it was heartbreaking, really. Crazy stuff. It's supposed to be a good pick. It's supposed to be easy. Um, Giants struggled today in the red zone area of the field. The first team offense ran five plays in the red zone. It was a low incompletion first on a curl to Paris Campbell. Then Jones had a keeper on his own read that was stuffed. A short pass to Campbell that didn't go anywhere. Eric, they tried to sweep with Eric Gray. That got blown up in the backfield. Then a last play was a Jones zone read keeper that also got stopped just short of the goal line. I don't have a panic button on this one, Nick, because I just know Mike Kafka and the red zone offense he designed last year went from the sickest, worst thing we've ever seen, basically. It feel it felt like under Garrett to top six, top seven. And that's with pretty bad personnel, in my opinion, that they had last year. Middling O-line with injuries. Not great receiver talent for the most part last season, even before Isaiah Hodgins. Okay talent at tight end. Um, good talent at tight end. I like that spot. Jones improving, things like that. So I just don't think he's showing much in these red zone periods. Like even like the the stuff that we just mentioned, like two short passes, Eric Gray sweep. Like we never really saw, we saw occasionally, like we saw the one time they had, they ran that sweep with Barkley and Brightwell leading the way. But a lot of this, a lot of what they're going to do in the red zone in the real season, Nick, I just don't think they're going to show the lions right now. Not even just that. Some of these play calls are just to see how the personnel is going to react. Like say you have right. Josh's left guard, you want to run a G lead to that side. You're going to call that. You wouldn't have called it maybe during the game, but you want to see how Josh Azudu handles that against this defensive front, against this defense. These coaches are also talking as well sometimes. Like, hey, I want to see this front. I want to see this coverage against this in this situation. So they're bouncing stuff off of each other as well. So a lot of this is just, it's an evaluation process. And it's just the Giants calling plays to see how certain players react to what the defense is doing. And they wouldn't do that during the game. They're just trying to see, okay, can I trust this player in this scenario? Yep. Let's flip it to the defense side of the ball. We saw some rotations at the cornerback position today from Wink Martindale. Different lineups put a Dory Jackson in the slot at times, but he also played on the outside. We saw Deontay Banks on the outside a lot. Dre Hawkins still moving up that six-round pick, moving up the depth chart, playing first-team reps on the outside as well. Those have been things we've seen, but now we see it against an actual team, the Lions. So then we know they're not bluffing at this point. Um, Darnay Holmes was the other guy who got slot reps, and Cornell, uh, Cordell Flott did not get it. So we're going to have to take a monitor. We probably should be monitoring that, Nick, because if it's the same case Wednesday, tomorrow's practice, well, that might be something interesting if we see Holmes over Flott again. It's great for Darnay Holmes. It's great for his case to make this roster, which is up in the air. We also have this rotating door at linebacker with Micah McFadden and Darian Beavers, but it seems like Micah McFadden is starting to get the first team rep earlier in training camp. It was Darian Beavers. I don't know how much we can read into that. I still think this is just going to be one of those open competitions. What I'm interested in, Dan, is how much play 
Darian Beavers and Micah McFadden get on Friday. Because one of those guys is the starter. But don't you really want to evaluate them? And also, you have Darian Beavers coming off an injury. How much do you want to give him? So I'm interested to see how the Giants allocate snaps at the linebacker position. Yeah. And speaking of Beavers and McFadden, Giants linebackers in general, the Lions offense had a really nice finish to practice in the red zone period. A um, couple couple quick passes to get them there to Amon Ross St. Brown, who's been a very difficult cover for the Giants. He's a very difficult cover for any team at this stage of the game. And the Giants kind of tightened up a bit. Hawkins had a really nice run fit, which I guarantee you Wink Martindale is super excited about. Trey Hawkins is a guy who he's taking a chance on giving these first team reps on. If he's making, if he's doing the right thing in the run game like that, that's in my opinion, a really good sign for his chance of actually carrying over this training camp preseason hype for the regular season. So I thought that was interesting. And then the Giants got burned for a touchdown on just like a play action leak to Jameer Gibbs. And this is just bringing back nightmares of that week one Titans game and then other plays throughout the season and in their past where they just don't have the linebacker talent to cover these running backs in the flat. So I didn't love to see that, Nick, I'll be honest. Dontrell Hilliard had what two touchdowns against the giants. Yeah. And he also had another big play in week one. And that was just the Austin Calitro effect that ended after week three against Dallas when that weak side long Ezekiel Elliott run. But you're right, man. I mean, that second linebacker spot, you can't fix all your problems on the roster in one off season. The giants did a damn good job fortifying their roster, but they're still going to need Michael McFadden or Darian Beavers to step up in base and nickel personnel. And speaking of those guys, like you mentioned, it's going to be really interesting to watch that battle in the preseason. I'm super excited about that one. The most, the Giants brought in, or nah, they haven't done it yet, but they're working on bringing in Anthony Barr, a veteran linebacker, to visit the team and work out with the team. I don't think Barr is still the same player he was, um, no. and I don't know if he really ever was the kind of solution they need to covering the flats and covering these bat, these athletic backs like Jameer Gibbs in the Bass game. But I'm interested to see if he can get something going in this workout and, and, and earn a contract because the Giants have done it before, right? We didn't think the Jared Davis thing was going to happen last year. Out of nowhere, they signed Jared Davis. He's starting the next week, and then he's starting in the playoff game against the Eagles. So crazier think, things have happened at linebacker. It feels like the Giants are definitely open to some possibilities there. The thing about Barr, he's 31 years old. He spent last season on the Dallas Cowboys. The interesting part about him is he was – a, I would say a prominent defensive player for the Vikings when there was a co-defensive coordinator named Andre Patterson there. So Andre Patterson has a really close relationship with Barr, who is a linebacker, but also an outside linebacker who is an edge, kind of a tweener coming out of UCLA and has had a phenomenal career. So that would be a veteran presence maybe that the Giants want to add to this roster. And there's certainly a roster spot available for linebackers. Just he's 31 years old. I just don't know how athletic he is at this moment. Then that's fair. And we're going to have to see it. Obviously, he's bounced around a few workouts now, and we're going to find that out after the Giants workout. All right, Nick, anything else before we head out of here? No, in terms of um, what happened in practice, you already brought up the Colin Johnson play. I think that was the play of the um, play of the camp so far. So we'll have to see exactly what happens in joint practice tomorrow, and I'll be excited to cover it. Yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully it's a better day for the Giants offense, or at least for the passing game. Until then, have a great rest of your night and your day. Depending on when you listen to this, thanks again for tuning into Big Blue Banter. Make sure if you enjoy this content, you help us grow the page. How are you going to do that? Well, tell your friends to subscribe. If you're watching, you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe. Those numbers have been growing, but we want to get them even bigger. We're trying to reach 5K by the start of the season. Hit like on this video if you haven't already. Just like, like, like. Everybody you see, just hit that like button. These are just like two simple things we'll ask. They go a long way for us, and they really help us. So please do that. If you're listening right now on Spotify or iTunes, wherever that may be, if you haven't already, please subscribe there as well and set up for auto-download or at least download and delete. 
if you don't want to, uh, you know, keep this, get your storage on your phone maxed out or whatever it may be, that really helps us as well. And if you haven't, leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes because that is a main way that I've heard people have been uh, connected to our podcast. And we want to connect to as many people as we can. That is going to help us grow the show, give us more resources. The more resources we get, the better the content will be. It's really as simple as that. So thank you to everyone who does already do all of this. We do really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.